Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is where we live. While there is no law or set of laws that can prevent every senseless act of violence completely, no piece of legislation that will prevent every tragedy, every act of evil, if there is even one thing we can do to reduce this violence, if there's even one life that can be saved, then we've got an obligation to try. That's President Obama speaking yesterday at the White House, where he rolled out a series of recommendations and executive orders meant to reduce gun violence. I'm John Dankosky. Among those recommendations, a new assault weapons ban with a 10-round limit on magazines, a stop to the sale of armor-piercing bullets, a universal background check for gun sales, and many more proposals were all put on the table. They will face a tough challenge from a Congress which has a Republican majority in the House and a Senate led by a Democrat, Harry Reid, who has long favored gun rights. But beyond federal action, states are looking at their gun laws as well. In New York, Governor Andrew Cuomo quickly pushed through a series of changes, including one which is drawing some criticism from the mental health community. We'll be talking about action in Hartford and Albany later in this show. And you can join us at 860-275-7266 as we talk about new gun legislation in America and in our states. 860-275-7266. Email live at wnpr.org. You can tweet us at live. The cameras of CTN are here, and we welcome them in. We also want to bring in Elizabeth Esty, who represents Connecticut's 5th Congressional District. She serves on a House Gun Control Task Force, which heard testimony yesterday, and we saw her in the audience as the president and vice president spoke and rolled out these recommendations. Elizabeth Esty, welcome back to our program. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, John. First of all, your reaction to the set of proposals uh, by the president, do you think it all goes far enough? Well, I'm extremely encouraged by the continuing commitment of President Obama and Vice President Biden that they've shown to enacting real meaningful change to save lives. And I'm really grateful to them for the care and support they've shown for the Newtown community. Uh, You talked uh, shortly after that that tragic event with us, and you talked about wanting to get behind common sense gun gun legislation. Do you think that uh, this package of proposals fits that bill, something that uh, both makes sense as far as making us safer and also has some sort of chance of gaining some bipartisan support? Well, I think there are a lot of pieces that... uh a lot of pieces that make a great deal of sense. I have to say, it's it's an extensive series of proposals. I was reviewing them on the plane last night. I got in at midnight, so I'm I'm not going to claim to be an authority on all the pieces of them yet. But but I can say this: there are quite a number of the pieces that I I think are important, will work to save lives, and are going to be very important for the Congress to take up, and I hope get through. You met obviously with members of the Newtown community who came down for that announcement yesterday. Could you talk to us a little bit about what those meetings were like and how the parents of some of the victims, some of the loved ones of the victims from Sandy Hook, are feeling about this and how they feel as though they've been engaged in this process? Well, I'll I'll tell you, there's a great deal of concern and interest in ensuring that no other families go through what these families have had to endure. And they are obviously grieving, as one would expect, but an increasing number of them very committed to 
helping move this issue forward for the country, and I think to help mobilize the American public. And I think in all the discussions that we've had about the politics of this issue, what has often been left out is the American people. What do the American people want? What do the American people think is the right thing to do here? And I think we're seeing now for the first time since the 94 crime bill a serious, serious engagement by the American public so that it's not a Washington issue about who's got the votes and the nose counting, but rather what is it that the American people believe should happen. To that end, you were part of a discussion yesterday. There was a... uh this House Gun Control Task Force had a hearing uh, in which you heard testimony from a number of people. Maybe you can talk about that task force and what it is uh, you're hoping to accomplish as as part of that, who you were hearing from yesterday. Well, yesterday's task force, uh, yesterday's hearing was called by the Policy and Steering Committee, and the task force members, of which I'm a part, I'm one of the vice chairs, were also in attendance. We had close to 60 members of Congress, so it was a very large turnout, uh, particularly on a day when we weren't in session. Um, and we had four, we had four w- witnesses. The first of whom, uh, who I had the honor of introducing, Janet Robinson, the wonderful superintendent from Newtown. We also had uh, Emily Zimmerman, who is the mother of a young congressional staffer to Gabby Giffords, who was killed, uh, talking about the impact of his death and of that shooting on her community and calling for reform. We had Mayor Nutter of Philadelphia, who is the, I think, currently the head of the Mayor's Association. And we had uh, the police chief from Chaska, Minnesota, who is um, actually sheriff, I think he is technically, uh, chief and sheriff, talking about in smaller towns how the issues around gun violence have escalated. It's not just a city issue. This is everywhere. For example, he described how his officers now have moved through a series of weapons, and now they, too, carry AR-15s in their trunks, the same weapon that was used in Newtown. You mentioned Newtown Superintendent Janet Robinson. Let's hear a little bit of her testimony right now. Innocent children and the people who teach them were gunned down. We are all forever changed. Some families have a huge hole left by a six-year-old who should be doing the funny, silly things that six-year-olds do. Families who have their children are still suffering through the nightmares and fears of sounds and strangers. And then the superintendent, Janet Robinson, went on, and, and she gives a fairly chilling description of, of some of what happened that day. Let's listen in. The shooter bypassed the first-grade classroom on the left and began shooting in the second first-grade classroom, killing the school's permanent substitute teacher, Lauren Rousseau, and all but one child who was clever enough to play dead and didn't even whimper. I think it's important, uh, Elizabeth Esty, as as we hear from uh, people who've been affected by gun violence uh, across the nation, to maybe remember some of these stories, as we heard from the superintendent uh, yesterday, because, as you said, it is very, very easy to turn this into a conversation about the size of magazines and the headcount in the Congress and who's got the votes. And if we don't hear some of these personal stories, it is going to be very difficult for us to have a real conversation about this moving forward, don't you think? Oh, absolutely, and I'm so grateful to Janet Robinson for sharing incredibly painful details and the families that have come forward as well, and I've talked to them about and thanked them for doing so because I believe that otherwise it becomes numbers. We become numb to the numbers, 
And, but we as Americans have big hearts, and we really care about people. And so the stories of these people need to be told. We're talking and that with- is, I think, what will make the difference, is the stories and faces of these, of these young children who had just begun their lives, really, and these heroic teachers. And that is why we are having this conversation now, is because those stories and those images are so incredibly powerful. They look like everyone's daughter, everyone's you know, granddaughter, and grandson, and that is breaking people's hearts. And, and we, need to, we need to remember that when we're talking about the cost of inaction. That's the cost we're paying right now. The price of inaction is these lives being lost every day. We're talking with Elizabeth Esty, who represents Connecticut's 5th Congressional District. She serves on a House gun control task force. She was at President Obama's announcement of new sweeping uh, gun control legislation that he's offering up to the Congress. That was yesterday. Uh, you can call us up at 860-275-7266 with your thoughts on this. Uh, stand by for a moment, Congresswoman, because I w- want to bring in some guests in studio here. Don Williams is a Democrat, the state Senate president. Uh, he joins us today. Uh, Don, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Senator, for being here. Thank you, John. And John McKinney is the Republican Senate Minority Leader uh, who represents the 28th District, which includes Newtown. Uh, John McKinney, welcome back to our show as well. Thank you. Um, I, I want to start with you, uh, first of all, Senator McKinney. I think that what Elizabeth Esty, what the president, uh, Vice President Biden were saying yesterday is that we as a nation need to do something. Uh, there's been quite a bit of talk about what these particular proposals would do and whether or not even this package of legislation would stop what happened uh, that day at Newtown. As we talk about listening to these stories and trying to do something, do you think that we're moving in the right direction as a nation toward actually stopping gun violence as we have this conversation? I hope we are. And I I think if the test is going to be uh, the legislation needs to be able to prevent this from ever happening again, uh, then we're establishing the wrong test. Uh, Our goal needs to be to try to make things safer. Uh, And I know that we're going to do some things that may help a little bit, may not work as much as we hoped, and some things that will help more. Uh, That's not a reason not to do something. Uh, Newtown has fundamentally changed uh, the sensibilities, I think, of the people across our country. Uh, There have been horrific tragedies from Virginia Tech to Columbine. Um, And and I think Newtown, uh, as, you know, just another tragedy, plus the fact that it involved so many innocent young kids, has been a tipping point. Uh, So I think here in Connecticut, uh, and most importantly, what Uh, Congresswoman Esty and the rest of the members of Congress, hopefully Republicans and Democrats, will do is to make some common sense changes to our gun laws. Uh, It's not about um, gutting the Second Amendment and saying people don't have the right uh, to have a gun uh, in their home for their their defense, Uh, but it's about uh, sensible laws to try to make things safer. And I think we can accomplish that. Have you had some of those conversations with people in your caucus, perhaps uh, in the state legislature, or Republicans who you know uh, who don't favor gun control legislation like this, where you've been able to to maybe convince them it's the time to change something here? I- I've had a lot of conversations with members of my caucus, uh, members, uh, uh, constituents of mine, uh, was at a meeting uh, about a week and a half ago with about 20 people in Newtown, all from Newtown, friends, um, people who tend to be uh, gun owner rights supporters. Um, and a lot of people in that room said, you know what, if you want to ban large capacity magazines, that's okay. Uh, they were opposed to a bill that's been put in by 
uh, I believe Senator Meyer, that would essentially ban all semi-automatic weapons, uh, and you can only have single-shot weapons. So I did find some movement um, there, and, uh, and I think we can have that conversation with people. The one thing that everyone has said to me, um, well, two things that everyone has said. One is, you have to act. Not acting is not acceptable anymore. Uh, the other thing is that they, they want to make sure it's not just about guns. Uh, although important, uh, how we treat people, diagnose people, and deal with people with mental illnesses, uh, looking at school security measures, equally important. Um, that school, Sand Hill Elementary School, not long ago didn't have uh, a system where you had to be buzzed into the school. My kids own uh, elementary schools. They're, they've graduated from them. You could just walk in, walk down the corridor, and, and knock on your child's classroom door. Um, had that old type of system been in place, we, we might have seen many more people uh, lost and killed in that tragedy. So school security uh, is extremely important. That's also a very emotional debate. Who makes those decisions, the state or the local community? Um, how much do you, quote unquote, arm a school um, in, and keep it still a elementary type school that people want to feel free roaming around. So, so, Senator Williams, what do you think the state's role is in all this? Because as you hear the president lay out these recommendations, many people say that the only realistic way to have any sort of sensible gun legislation is on the federal level because guns travel across state lines. We need to have something, like so many things uh, in, in our society, we need to have something done at the federal level if the states are going to be, be successful. So what do you think the state's role is in all this, to go further than the federal legislation, to do what different? Well, I, I think it's to lead because you're absolutely right. We need stronger laws at the federal level so that we have a, a uniform uh, response uh, across the country. Uh, but we have 50 states, uh, and Connecticut can help lead and set an example, not only for other states, but for the federal government as well. You know, and, and I want to recognize my colleague, uh, Senator John McKinney. Um, he's the Senate Minority Leader. He's also the senator who represents Newtown. Uh, and his empathy and his leadership on behalf of his constituents has been extraordinary. And uh, I, he and I spoke uh, shortly after this terrible tragedy, and we spoke many, many times uh, since that. Uh, and we are working together, Democrats and Republicans, in a bipartisan way uh, to take action uh, in the wake of this tragedy. And uh, I, I think that, too, can be an example for other states and especially for the federal government. We're going to be talking a bit more about at least one other state, New York, which has uh, quickly passed a series of, of plans. We'll be talking with a reporter from New York who's been covering that issue. Uh, before I let Elizabeth Esty, Congresswoman from the 5th District, go, I want to ask you about some, some other pieces of legislation that uh, were proposed yesterday by the president and certainly people have been talking about. As Senator McKinney said, we need to not just look at guns, we need to look at a whole package of things that might keep us safer. Uh, the president talked about uh, ensuring that people get the mental health treatment they need and making sure that mental health is a bigger part of our conversation. Frankly, though, Congresswoman Esty, we don't know very much about the mental health conditions that Adam Lanza suffered from. I think we're talking very broadly, both at the state and the federal level, about mental health and what that means. Can you define a little bit more for me what you're talking about when you talk about mental health and the gun task force that you're a part of? Because it's very, very broad, and I think many in the mental health community are somewhat concerned about the language that they're hearing out of New York and, and the federal government right now. Certainly, and it is a complicated issue, and I, I should put right up front, in, in the 1980s, I worked on mental health issues with adolescents in the state of Connecticut. So I've been working on issues around mental health for a long time. And there are a number of different pieces 
that are being discussed, and they're all important. One is ensuring that we have mental health support and counseling for survivors of mass tragedies like this. So that's one discrete piece, and I think everyone agrees on that. A second important piece is preventative. Frankly, it's about identifying and supporting, particularly in schools, those who are bullied and those who are bullying, those who are showing signs of, of mental distress. So that's about identification of and support for those who, who need it. A third piece is about the keeping guns out of the hands of people who shouldn't have them. It's ensuring that only responsible gun owners have access to guns. That is the piece, John, that I think is extremely complicated to get the balance right. And that's where I'm hearing from mental health professionals a concern, and that has to do with reporting. Who can who can make a report and to whom, and how does that get entered into a system of background checks, et cetera, and what are the implications of that? And so I think that those pieces are going to take longer to draft regulations, to draft legislation that really strikes that balance to ensure confidentiality, to ensure that we're encouraging people to get mental health support, that we are not stigmatizing all people uh, who have mental illness issues, and that ensure that mental illness is treated like many other illnesses on a parity basis, which is part of the president's proposals, which I support. But the, the issues about how we ensure that people whose mental illness manifests in a way that would make them make it dangerous to the public for them or for themselves yes. to have access to weapons, that's the piece that is going to take, I think, more work more fine-tuning to figure out how to get that balance. Well, and not to get too far ahead of ourselves, because we will be get, delving into New York legislation in just a bit, but I, I see you nodding your head, Senator McKinney, and this was a piece of the New York legislation. Essentially, it, it, it puts people who are caregivers uh, for people who are maybe suffering from some mental health crises in a very difficult position. How do you, should you, are you required to report that someone may indeed be dangerous? We are very, very fresh with this entire situation to all of a sudden be changing uh, patient confidentiality, and it seems a little bit premature, at least from where I sit. How do you see it? It is a very difficult issue, and I agree with uh, what Congresswoman Estes said. One of our problems historically is we have not had true mental health parity. Uh, part of that is because of the terrible stigma that applies to people with mental illness. Uh, that doesn't apply to people with other illnesses. Uh, we risk um, furthering stigmatization by saying mental health, people with mental illness equals violence, because mm -hmm. uh, that's certainly not the case. So it is very uh, tricky in how we're going to handle that. I, we may talk about New York later, but the speed with which New York operated scares me a little bit. Forget the fact that they didn't have any public hearings um, and nobody got to see this, but did they even talk to experts in the field of mental health, et cetera, to find out how the reaction might be before they actually signed a bill into law? Yeah, and Senator Williams, I don't know if you want to pick up on that, but I think it scared a lot of people the, the, uh, the rapid pace of this because without public hearings and without something a little bit more comprehensive, without even really knowing everything that we possibly could about what happened in this incident, not that we're trying to legislate away this incident, but it would be nice to know a bit more about Adam Lanza and what exactly happened before we start using this as an example. It, it does seem as though putting the brakes on does make some sense. Uh, absolutely, we want to do this in a, a uh, thoughtful, 
uh, manner. We want to listen to experts. We want to listen uh, to members of the public and our constituents. Uh, but you know what John said earlier is also very important that uh, we must take action uh, after we've we've listened to the experts and we have uh, done our due diligence. Uh, then it really is incumbent upon us. Uh, to take action. And I think uh, the country will be looking to Connecticut. <clears throat> if we take action in February, if we take action in March, uh, to me, that would be swift. Uh, but it would also allow us to take a look, especially in the mental health area, at the various proposals that are out there. Uh, I, too, am, am troubled by uh, some of what New York did in that respect. The last thing we want to do is discourage people uh, from seeking the help uh, that could, could turn their lives around and help protect their own safety and the safety of others. Uh, so we, we surely do not want to do that. I, I think that there are, are some, some common sense uh, gun violence protection measures that we can move forward with aggressively. And I believe uh, that the majority of the hunters and the sportsmen uh, will be on our side. I, I've talked to a number of folks uh, who said, you know what, uh, these, these uh, semi-automatic uh, weapons of war, the, the, the rifles that are designed really for the battlefield. Uh, there's, n there's no sporting purpose here. Uh, and so I, I believe if we, if we look at that, we look at armor-piercing bullets, we look at the high-capacity magazines, uh, we, we look at what the president uh, has proposed and what our own Connecticut Conference of Municipalities has proposed in terms of tougher restrictions on, on ammunition and these weapons of war, that we can make some, some great strides forward, Democrats and Republicans. And John, I, I, I don't think we should leave people with the impression that we're going to act once and we finished our job. Just... I think that's the impression you get from what New York has done. And uh, Senator Williams called me and uh, proposed this idea of having a legislative committee to really uh, hear these and be in charge of coalescing all of the bills that might come in around this issue. And I think it's a great idea and thanked him for it. And I think it's going to be successful. But that doesn't mean that our job will be done. Uh, we may end up uh, finding a package that we can find broad consensus on and then also agreeing, it, it may happen, that there are other issues that need further and continued review and discussion, and, and we'll continue to do that as a legislature. This isn't going to be a one-time, here's our solution, and we, and we forget about it and move on. That's right. We're, we're hearing from John McKinney, who's a Republican Senate minority leader, uh, Democratic State Senate President Don Williams is here in studio with us. I want to thank Elizabeth Esty, who represents the 5th Congressional District. She serves on a House Gun Control Task Force, and she was at the President's announcement yesterday. Uh, Congresswoman, uh, always good to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us here on Where We Live. Well, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, again, my thanks to Senator Williams and Senator McKinney. And we're, we're very fortunate in the state to have wonderful bipartisan um, commitment to sensible gun policies that are going to help our communities and our children be safer. And on the mental health issues, I, I will say as well, I, I wanted to note that in my conversations with Vice President Biden on Monday, there was a meeting, we met for two and a half hours with the task force with the Vice President. And that same issue about timing that, that John McKinney just raised, he also said, he said, you know, Elizabeth, we're going to look to move faster on the gun issue because we've already studied it a lot. We, we have a lot of information about what works and what doesn't. And some of these other issues are more complicated and we need to get them right and they're gonna take longer. And I think that's exactly the right answer. But we shouldn't wait 
on the pieces till we have them all lined up. And, and I believe that's the approach that's going to be taken in Congress as well, is to move on the pieces we can move on more rapidly while the public attention is on, and then, and then really try to get it right on these important issues around school security and mental health as well. And I want to thank my colleagues there uh, in Hartford, and thank you, John. Thank you very much, Congresswoman Elizabeth Esty, joining us by phone today. When we come back, we'll take some of your phone calls at 860-275-7266. We'll talk more about proposed state legislation, where that may be headed. We'll also be talking about the package that New York has passed as we continue this conversation about guns, gun control, gun legislation here on Where We Live. This is Where We Live. I'm John Dankosky. Today we're talking about gun legislation at the federal level and at the state level. We're talking in studio with Don Williams, who's the state Senate president, a Democrat, Senate minority leader, John McKinney. He's a Republican. Uh, They're working together on a special bipartisan task force on gun violence prevention and children's safety. They're taking into account a lot of information coming from a lot of different places, and they're working in a bipartisan manner to try to pass some legislation. We'll be talking in a bit about the legislation that New York has passed. If you want to join us, 860-275-7266. But let's go to the phones here. Corey is in Middletown. Hello, Corey. Go ahead. Hi. How you doing? Doing well. What's up? Uh, you guys are making some excellent, excellent points this morning. But uh, one of the things that has been concerning me and especially uh, some of my other colleagues and the people just talking about here, um, they're bringing up a mental health issue, uh, and I noticed a push on that after the, uh, the Gabrielle Gifford shooting. Uh, my question and concern is, is, not, is with the irony that, um, that nobody's talking about the, uh, the new DSM-5 manual, the uh, psychological manual that they do have all these disorders. Um, one of the things that have been brought up in the news recently is the fact that, uh, that almost every human emotion, if you look at the new DSM-5 manual, uh, it's, it's just ironic the timing that through the Obamacare legislation uh, they would wanted to use and they had publicly stated this two or three years ago uh, the fact to keep weapons out of the hands of mentally ill patients it's more or less uh, how is it that this also ties into the UN gun treaty that's due for an ironic speedy vote in March through the US Senate um, no, nobody's really talking about that and the fact that all this legislation uh, with these Three shootings, especially with Aurora, Colorado, and mm-hmm. one here in Newtown. Um, why is no one talking about the uh, the UN gun treaty that, that ties into this, even with our resolve to military? Well, and, and, and Corey, and I apologize. I'll get a, a quick response from Don Williams. We're talking about a lot of things here uh, at the same time. We're talking about, uh, as, as he called it, Obamacare and uh, an entirely new health care system. We're talking about mental health on a number of different levels. Sure. And, and I think with the Affordable Care Act, uh, one of the points that the president uh, made yesterday in the Biden report was that uh, there'll be increased uh, health insurance parity uh, on mental health issues. Uh, I can't speak to the to the U.N. treaty, but I, I can speak to the issue that mental health has not been treated in the same way that other health issues are uh, in the United States by health insurance policies. And there's been a, a significant trend in recent years to exclude uh, certain treatments for mental health uh, from insurance coverage. So that has been a problem in terms of folks seeking and receiving help. Uh, let's go to uh, Bernadette, who's calling from West Haven. Hi, Bernadette. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Yeah. I'd like to congratulate you for the many discussions that you have um, sponsored about this subject since the terrible event in Newtown. Uh, my own personal experience is um, related to a trip I took on Amtrak across country, coast to coast. 
And in every region of, of the country that I passed through, I met people and engaged in conversations, and eventually the subject of Newtown came up, especially when they found out that I lived in Connecticut. And ultimately what people um, came to say was that we had to do something about the incredible incivility that exists in our country, person to person, towards one another. And the impression was that people are very concerned about this, that we are just not civil to one another. And at times, people actually express uh, a state of fear about the unexpected and what's to come, and the fact Mm. that we don't seem to be able to um, exercise the daily events of life in a civil manner, like tailgating, cutting people off. Um, well, there are and, many, many ways that this is manifest, but it seems to be the bottom line of everybody's concern. Well, and, and Bernadette, thank you very much for that. It's one of the many things, the many threads that we've been pulling apart, as you say, as we've had a number of conversations since Newtown. Senator McKinney, maybe we, we, we can't legislate people being nice to one another. We can't legislate civility. I guess I'm wondering, from a legislator's standpoint, how we might use this moment to have a conversation that at least models civility for the rest of the nation, that we could actually have a conversation about guns that doesn't uh, uh, devolve into a screaming match like you see on 24-hour news channels. It seems as though our legislature is doing so so far, which which I very much appreciate. But I guess I'm wondering how, since Connecticut uh, is in the spotlight nationally, how we might model this for the rest of the country, just be more civil in the way we talk about stuff, and maybe people will model that behavior. Uh, I think that's our hope. Uh, not only do we want to um, try to improve our laws to make our state and people safer, we want to engage in a process that people can be proud of uh, and that can set an example and a tone. Um, on Monday, a group of uh, Sandy Hook parents, uh, parents of kids who were tragically lost, parents who have kids at the school who survived, came together and formed a group called Sandy Hook Promise. And, and they didn't come forward, John, and say, here's our list of 10 agenda items we want you to pass and Congress to pass. They came forward and said, we need to start a conversation across our country. And that conversation needs to be uh, above partisanship and above the acrimony that we see so often. Uh, and that's what we need to do. And you know, I, I feel a tremendous obligation as someone who represents Newtown. I think all of us in the legislature feel an obligation as elected officials. But I also feel as, as just as a person, um, and I'm sorry it didn't happen sooner, but I think, you know, if I want to honor the victims, uh, perhaps the best way I can honor them is to be a better person. And I think what Bernadette is talking about, uh, we hear it over and over about how partisan, how bitter people are, how divided our country is becoming. Well, then let's stop and take stock and be nice to the person and in, in line at the grocery store instead of worrying about cutting them off so you can save 20 seconds on your day. I mean, those are types of things we need to be doing. Now, uh, another thing that I think I should talk about with, with you folks while you're here is, is another thread to this conversation that is, is very important for our state. Uh, today, as a matter of fact, I believe that uh, Representative Jim Himes and Senator Chris Murphy are going to be meeting with residents of Stanford and law enforcement officers to try to get a, a better sense of uh, how violence impacts that community. Last week, uh, they held a similar forum in the north end of Hartford. As a matter of fact, here's, here's a little bit of sound from that forum. This is uh, the Reverend Henry Brown talking about 
Well, talking about violence in his community, talking about violence in Newtown, and this is, this is a lot of what Senators Blumenthal and Murphy heard last week. 20 families grieving. When in the past 11 years, I have seen 330 people grieve. I heard somebody say funerals. I have been to 330 funerals. So I'm not here today just because we are feeling sorry for ourselves. What happened out in Newtown? Oh man, we grieve just as much as anybody in Newtown grieve because we understand the significant loss of lives. And that's Reverend Henry Brown speaking at a forum uh, last week in Hartford. So, uh, Senator Williams, this is a big part of the conversation, and, and the, uh, the president made this clear yesterday in his speech. He said you know, 900 people have been killed by guns since, since Sandy Hook. Uh, it's a, a lot of families uh, grieving, and if you extrapolate that over the course of the year, it'll be thousands. It'll be as, as many people as died in, in 9-11. And we, we tend not to pay much attention to this day-to-day -day violence, this violence that happens in Hartford and Bridgeport and New Haven. Uh, but we do convene meetings like the ones that you guys are holding and like the ones the, that the senators are holding whenever something like this happens at this scale. How do we change that conversation so that the folks like, like Reverend Brown and others in, in our cities feel as though we're listening to the chronic gun violence that plagues their lives every day? Well, I think we ought to be concerned any time that there's an act of, of gun violence. And the tragedy in Newtown shocked the world uh, because of the manner of that tragedy, of a gunman walking into an elementary school, blasting his way into an elementary school, and killing defenseless, innocent uh, children. Uh, so, so appropriately, uh, we have all reacted with tremendous horror at, at that kind of crime. But, but uh, the Reverend and other advocates are absolutely right. Uh, gun violence claims the life of men, women, and children every day. Uh, after 9-11, uh, after that, that uh, horrific terrorist attack that killed approximately 3,000 people, this country responded in an unbelievable way. Uh, we committed billions of dollars uh, to anti-terrorism measures, to the national defense. We went to war not once but twice in Iraq and Afghanistan, again committing uh, really trillions of dollars uh, of, of the uh, Treasury of the United States. Uh, laws were passed, significant laws. Some would say laws were passed abrogating uh, constitutional rights uh, and rights to privacy of individuals uh, in this country in order to, uh, to combat uh, future acts of terrorism. But we, we also know uh, that more men, women, and children die as a consequence of gun violence in the United States every year than have ever been killed in acts of terrorism. So I, I think that, that this tragedy at the Sandy Hook Elementary School, as Senator McKinney said and others have said, it is, it is the ultimate wake-up call. Uh, and we do need, need to, to move uh, swiftly here. Uh, yes, it is about mental health, and we need to address those issues. Yes, it is about school security and strengthening uh, safety in our communities. Uh, but, you know, half of all of the suicides in the United States are committed with a gun. Two out of three homicides in the United States are committed with a gun. This is absolutely about denying the opportunity yeah. uh, to take lives uh, with firearms. But, but most and most of those suicides and most of those homicides are caused by people with handguns. And we're not talking for the most part here in the last couple of days about handguns, uh, Senator McKinney. We're talking about uh, long rifles, military grade weapons. We're talking about large magazines. That's a different conversation than the chronic problem that, that's over here. So how do we make sure that this moment allows us to really have that conversation, too, about handguns, what happens in our cities, what happens in suicide? 
how does that get into this as well? I think it's already part of this. And, and um, when you hear uh, people like Reverend Brown talk, you reflect on the fact that people like Marty Looney, the Senate Majority Leader who represents New Haven, has been talking about this for years as well. And maybe I won't agree with everything that Senator Looney wants to do, but it is part of the conversation. Um, Part of it is um, it's difficult to fashion a response where you can say to Reverend Brown, you're not going to have to go to any funerals anymore. And I think we've been setting that as the bar. We've been letting uh, the criticism of that won't solve the problem, so don't do it. Um, when you need to maybe solve part of the problem, because ending gun violence in, in our society is the goal. Achieving that may not be possible, but reducing gun violence is achievable. But, but as you said before, if this is a long-range effort, and it's not going to just stop, and I, and I applaud you both for that, that it's not just going to stop after the first couple hearings and the first package of legislation. So what's the, what is the assurance? I mean, I know you can't make the assurance that there won't be any more funerals uh, for folks in the north end of Hartford, but, but how do you make the assurance that this continues on and we, we truly get at the root of some of those problems, which don't necessarily all have to do with mental health. They don't have to do with magazine sizes. They don't have to do with assault weapons. Uh, you know, I can just speak for myself. Uh, I am, uh, you know, God willing, guaranteed to represent uh, the town of Newtown and my district uh, for two more years. And uh, I will not let a day go by of those two years where I'm not thinking about talking about and acting on behalf of uh, those people and, and doing what I know they want me to do. That's what we need each legislator to make a commitment to do. Well, let's go quickly to Mike and Gail's Ferry. Hi, Mike. Go ahead. Yes, thank you, John, and thank you for the topic. Horrific situation. Um, I'm, a quick uh, comment and then a question. Uh, comment is I'm, I'm sensing from your conversation uh, with the two senators, uh, that uh, there is a there there is a need to think this out. I uh, I don't agree with that. I kind of wish that uh, Connecticut had been the one, been the state that st- stepped forth instead of New York and put forth legislation, put forth good strong legislation, and then we'll worry about those the fringe element coming back and uh, disputing it. Uh, okay, L- let me ask a question. That's something I've been wondering about ever since this happened. Uh, if Adam Lance's mother had not been a victim, she was responsible for the safe securing of those guns. And apparently, from what we've heard through the media, she was suspect of her son uh, having some mental difficulties. Now, if she had not been a victim, what would be, by current law, her responsibility to uh, to the to the uh, death of uh, all of these uh, children. What what accountability would she be facing right now? What Mike, 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 it's a great question. I'll let you go just because your line was acting up a bit. But uh, Senator Williams, it's an excellent question, and uh, I think one of the most difficult uh, aspects of this entire story is the fact that apparently all of these guns that were in her possession uh, were legally purchased, and that she possessed them. Uh, legally. Uh, The same can be true for the purchase of ammunition, um, and we do not require uh, that that guns have gun safety locks on them 24-7 when they're not in use. Uh, These are issues I think that that we ought to be looking at in terms of uh, the secure uh, and safekeeping of firearms. But but again, this this is about opportunity. Uh, Back to to the Reverend's point, you know, maybe 30 years ago, a dispute on a street corner in one of our urban areas in Connecticut or elsewhere in this country might have been settled with a fist fight. Uh, Today, 
folks may reach for handguns, um, and the result is fatalities and stray bullets killing innocent bystanders. So having the opportunity to pick up these weapons, whether it's in a household, and by the way, I understand that back when uh, federal research was uh, legal, uh, before the T-Art amendments uh, curtailed uh, research into gun violence and the relationship between gun uh, violence prevention legislation and, uh, and fatalities, that it was determined that a gun in the household uh, is 43 times more likely to be used on a person in that household as opposed to being used for protection against an intruder. So it, it's the opportunity in having these weapons. And, and the, the caller is absolutely right. We ought to be looking at ways to strengthen uh, uh, safety and safe keeping of the weapons that are legally possessed. And just very quickly, because we have to take a break, but just to his question, would she have faced some specific charges under current Connecticut law for not having secure weapons? I, we don't have laws that mandate, uh, again, uh, gun safety locks being on these weapons 24-7. Whether a case could have been made of some sort of gross negligence, if she knew that her son, and, and there have been reports, I don't know that they're confirmed. And they're, she, they're not confirmed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. right. So, so I, I, I don't know whether a gross negligence case could have been made or not. Uh, we're going to take a break. We're joined by Don Williams, the uh, state Senate president. He's a Democrat. Republican John McKinney is here. He's the Senate minority leader. When we come back, we'll be talking with them about some of New York's brand new legislation. They were the first in the nation to react with sweeping legislation. We'll talk with Robert Lewis, a reporter for WNYC, who's been covering that issue in Albany. You can join us at 860-275-7266, where we live. This is Where We Live. I'm John Dankosky. Coming up on tomorrow's show, Front Street Eye Quilt, new apartments, vacant storefronts, foreclosures. We'll talk to a panel of Hartford developers about the future of building and revitalizing a city through the power of real estate. You can join the conversation coming up on the next Where We Live. Today we're talking about gun laws at the federal level and at the state level as well. Here's Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York. We need a gun policy in this state that is reasonable, that is balanced, that is measured. And that uh, gun policy came out uh, just earlier this week, the first state in the nation to react to the Sandy Hook shootings with sweeping legislation. I want to welcome in Robert Lewis, who's a reporter for WNYC in New York, to talk us through some of this. Robert, welcome to the program. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. What are some of the big details of the New York package that got passed? Um, well, it's pretty sweeping. The, the one that's obviously grabbing everyone's attention is the uh, assembly or uh, assault weapons ban, rather. Um, it, it tightens the rules that have currently been in place that allowed uh, two features, excuse me, allowed uh, two feature tests, allowed one feature uh, per gun before it would be banned. The new law basically says if you have any military features like a grenade launcher or a uh, bayonet mount, uh, the, the gun is now going to be illegal. Um, but other than that, there, there's actually a lot in this bill. There's uh, the rules regarding ammunition. Uh, it shrinks the size of magazines that can be allowed. Um, it also requires uh, background checks, basically, for uh, buying ammunition. And the, mag uh, the magazine size reduced to seven bullets. That's, that is under what uh, President Obama has, has suggested in, in his sweeping changes proposed. Why that particular number? It's a really good question. I'm not sure where they arrived at the seven-figure, other than maybe the fact they wanted to be tougher than anyone else, um, which goes to to a bigger point, which is that this law really is, pro, as far as I see, the, the toughest in, in the country at this point. I'm wondering if you can talk us through the mental health provisions of this. It, it's raised some concerns uh, amongst some in the country about patient confidentiality and what someone might do if you're a therapist potentially reporting someone who you might see as, as a danger with guns. 
So the the basic law requires that any mental health professional, and it's sort of defined as a, a psychologist, a social worker, anyone who's who's treating someone for mental illness, if they believe that person is a danger to themselves or others, the mental health professional has to report that uh, basically to their boss, and that report then gets made to uh, state law enforcement, to the uh, DCJS, the Division of uh, Criminal Justice Services. And, and what the DCJS does is then checks uh, that person's name against uh, a large database of gun licensees. And if, in fact, that person has a license, then it can be removed and the guns can be taken away from them. Um, and obviously, as, as you sort of pointed out, it is a bit controversial. Some mental health professionals sort of worry that not only does this stigmatize mental illness by tying it into the gun control debate, but it also could have a little bit of a chilling effect on folks uh, seeking treatment. A last thing for you, Robert. The speed with which this came through, it has some people concerned that New York didn't really consider all the issues. We don't know everything we could possibly know about Adam Lanza and what happened on that day. Uh, from what I understand, uh, these things were not given a very full public hearing. Is there con- some concern in New York that your legislature is just acting too fast here? Oh, ab- absolutely. Um, I, I mean, this thing came together so, so quickly. I, I was really struck uh, when, I, when I was talking to people on Tuesday after the Senate vote. A number of the experts, people that you would think would really know the details of this, they hadn't even read the bill. Um, it's because it came out so late Monday really just before the Senate voted on it. Um, And it goes to a larger issue in our state, which is really that uh, much of our legislation is hammered out behind closed doors, really, by the governor and uh, the the top legislative leaders, and then uh, basically presented for quick votes to uh, to the members. So there, there has been a lot of concern uh, from, from good government advocates um, and folks about the way this was handled. So, so Don Williams, the state Senate president here in Connecticut, what can we learn from this process, both in terms of maybe good legislation that they've passed uh, from your perspective, but also the way it was done? What can we learn? How can we address it uh, in Connecticut? Well, I, I think we, we can learn that uh, there is a hunger for strong and swift action here. Uh, but it's incumbent upon us to get it right. Uh, and in looking and reviewing, uh, the, looking at the New York legislation, uh, there are many good things in there. And the assault weapon ban, which uh, tracks somewhat the California language, but as the reporter has acknowledged, I, I, it's, it's even tougher. I, I think that can be a, a good signpost for us and help inform us in the same way that the president's report uh, is informing us as to recommendations. And here in Connecticut, the Connecticut Conference of Municipalities representing our cities and towns, they've also put forth recommendations. Uh, But we will have public hearings. We will get input uh, from experts. We will hold the potential options that we have up to the light uh, so that we can, again, get it right. And those public (coughs) hearings aren't going to be easy. Uh, Public hearings on gun control and mental health are not going to be uh, easy or short. I mean, this is a big process I think you have to go through. No, a- absolutely. Uh, and that's, that's why we want to have a transparent process. Uh, because, you know, we don't have all the answers right now, uh, particularly in the field of mental health and, and even in the area of gun violence prevention. Um, we know that our laws can be better, uh, but we want to make sure that when we craft uh, the language as to assault weapons, that we're, we're not leaving open the possibility for loopholes, uh, as occurred in previous legislation, most notably the federal ban on assault weapons. Uh, Senator McKinney, I've talked to some of your colleagues about the possibility of of looking at New York, maybe some other states in the Northeast, and saying, can Connecticut join with other states and have a regional uh, 
conversation about guns so that at least we're passing in this northeast region something that is similar from state to state that, again, might model some federal legislation moving forward? Well, look, anytime you have a deliberative process, uh, as we tend to do more often than not in Connecticut, you you use that process to look at what other states are doing. Um, And not surprisingly, a lot of times on a lot of issues, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, New England states tend to mirror each other. Uh, Having said that, though, uh, you know, a gun sold in Louisiana or Georgia can easily find its way up into New York or Connecticut. Uh, So that's why we do need federal action. Uh, Look, um, I am still surprised with the speed at which New York acted. Uh, We had a caller, Mike, earlier who said we should have done the same thing. Um, It's more difficult. It may make legislators more uncomfortable, but it's absolutely necessary that we hear from everyone. Um, There are a lot of strong feelings on both sides of the gun issue, the mental health issue. Um, I think we're going to find school security issues to be very controversial uh, as well because parents have different feelings um, about that. But we need to do that. Uh, People learn a lot from public hearings as well. I think that's not only do we need to give people the right to speak, but legislators can learn a lot. You know, what's the difference between a clip or a magazine? What's the difference between, uh, you know, a lot of people don't understand that the difference between many of these semi-automatic long guns are cosmetic only. Um, That doesn't mean you can't ban some of them. Um, We have with the assault weapons ban, but those are issues that a lot of legislators aren't necessarily familiar with it. We need to learn those those issues. Well, we appreciate you coming in and talking about these issues with us. John McKinney, Republican State Minority Leader, thank you very much for being here. Thank you. Thank you also to Don Williams, the State Senate President, Democrat. Thank you, Don. Thank you, John. And thank you to Robert Lewis, a reporter for WNYC. You can read some of his reporting about gun legislation in Albany at wnyc.org. I'm John Dankosky, and this is where we live.